Lucky listeners out there in earbud land, welcome to another exciting episode of Playing Records with John. I'm your host, John. My guest this time is Kristen Tedman, a singer, multi-instrumentalist, and songwriter who divides her time between Los Angeles and Baltimore. She sings with choral groups both on stage and in the movies. She sings with small pop combos. She uh, is a riveting solo performer. You can hear her songs that she writes on her two albums, The Fall, that came out in 2010, and from 2015, an album called Limbo, Baltimore slash Los Angeles, which was actually recorded half in one city and half in the other. And we talk about that uh, and so much more in this conversation. So sit back and get ready to swoon for the voice and the mind of Kristen Tedman. It's Tetman, right? I just want to make sure I've been pronouncing it right. Tetman, yeah. Okay. Tetman. Mm-hmm. Tetman, yeah. Some okay. people do say Tetman, and I find that endearing because I probably because very dear friends from my childhood said Tetman. Mm-hmm. I I guess I wondered, is it? It's a German name, right? Or is it not? That's what I understood for the first thirty years of my life, mm-hmm. and then a German Tetman from the north of Germany said that it might have been Dutch, and it might have been Teutschmann, T-E-U-T-S-C-H-M-A-N. I think it's bogus, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> because Deutschmann would have just meant German man, like yeah. Deutschmann. Oh, okay. But how do you, EU, how are we going from EU, T-S-C-H, to O-E-D-T? That yeah. doesn't, that doesn't ring true to me. Um, so more, my um, folk etymology of the word of my name is that it's back what I thought, which is dead man. Okay. Death That's, man. Yeah. Somehow I was associated with death or the dead, or I was dead. Yeah. Someday I will be dead. <laughs> Were you a gothy kind of teen? Nope, no, not at all. <laughs> no, I had to you know, grapple with it. It was very, very sunny. So imagine how awesome it would have been for you if you had been gothy to have mm-hmm. a name that to you meant dead man. Dead man. That's like oh. the jackpot. <laughs> oh my God, think of the garage band I would have had. <laughs> dead man! It's not too late. No, it's not. I should have a band called Dead Man. You actually should. <laughs> yeah. This, I mean, it's like, I feel like I was never awake until this moment. <laughs> How could I never have thought of that? I should have known. I said it myself, yeah. Said I was bound for trouble. I'm going to try and focus on this talk now and not on wardrobe for dead men. (laughs) (laughs) This divide between L.A. and Baltimore, Mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, to me that seems like a really interesting part of your music. I was joking before we started recording that kind of tracking you on Facebook. Mm -hmm. It was hard for me to tell, like, wait, is Mm -hmm. she living in Baltimore and Mm -hmm. visiting L.A. Mm -hmm. or living in L.A. and visiting Baltimore? Mm -hmm. Um, Which, I mean, and you seem to indicate that you yourself sometimes wonder which mm-hmm. one it is, but what, like, what does that mean to you? And musically, what was that one of the reasons why it was important to do the Limbo album that way, where it was a half and half thing? Because do you feel sort of bicoastal uh, on the inside? Do you feel like that gives you a certain amount of, uh, like, does that, does that inspire you? Or does that, you know, uh, make it harder in either location to really 
kind of ensconce yourself? Well, I ensconced myself for 12, 13 years in L.A. And in the last three, four of those, or for like the middle five years, I couldn't afford to be flying back and forth. And I always missed Baltimore. I I have this journal entry that is one word, and the one word is withdrawal-timore. <laughs> um, that's mine, people. That's mine. Anyway, and like I said, when I was in fifth grade and moved to Long Island, I missed Baltimore so much, which some people are like, Baltimore, really? Well, yeah, I love Baltimore. Um, and so I made it a point to record half of the record here because I wanted to have a project here that made me have to be here and made me get to play music with some new musicians and some musicians that I've known and loved for good reason because mm -hmm. I love what they do. Um, so that was that was a, a concerted effort. But it is difficult to have a foot in one in each place. And so I've been trying to figure out how to have more stuff here and more stuff that can actually be... Well, I you know I don't I don't exactly know what I'm doing, John. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to keep doing what I do, um, be flexible with where I am. But I I'm such I love to have a home. I love to be able to walk places. I walked here, mm -hmm. um, and I love to be able to have community. So how did you get started playing music? I I. I... I've only read enough about you. I don't. I don't usually do a lot of homework, but I've only read enough about you to know that you do have a classical background. Yeah. And the the write up I saw, and this, you know, definitely is that kind of press release narrative. Is like that you left your classical background to to go to L.A. Is mm -hmm. that correct? And uh -huh. then you started scoring. Started out by scoring a play. Uh, right. Well, it wasn't so much incidental music. It was more writing. Uh, music to a play by Robert Anton Wilson. Mm -hmm. He wrote this play, Wilhelm Reich in Hell, and it's essentially a libretto because he didn't, uh, there's no music that accompanies it. So whenever that play is produced, it has different music, and I wrote the music for this production. Oh, cool. And uh, that was pretty much when I started. I had tried to write a symphony in high school. I think I got, you know, three themes written, mm -hmm. melodies only, and, like, it was going to start with clarinet. Motifs, if you will. <laughs> yes, if you will. Um, yeah, I did I leave classical music? I didn't really leave classical music. What was that progression like? Are you from this area? We're, we're in Baltimore now having this conversation. Is this where you, where you come from? Yes. I moved a lot as a child, so, mm -hmm. um, but my first, so it was... The quickest way to say it is born Virginia, Northern Virginia, like most people somehow. <laughs> um, and then I was in Massachusetts outside of Boston until first grade. Then I was in Baltimore, um, formative years of my childhood, running around these woods. Mm -hmm. And then I went up to Long Island in fifth grade. And it was the big heartbreak of leaving Baltimore. It was a hard year to move because I loved my friends and uh, my music teacher. I was singing in the children's course in Maryland, which was where I started. They taught music theory, like an old-fashioned, um, like Haydn's school, wherever they taught little choir boys. We learned theory and sight singing and ear training mm -hmm. and um, proper concert etiquette, or whatever that's worth. All at Towson, what is now Towson University. Um, yeah, fifth grade is brutal for moving to Long Island. I don't know. It's probably the same most anywhere, but the girls were particularly brutal to me. Mm -hmm. And I made the mistake of wearing a dress to the first day of school because that's what we did. And it was it was said in no uncertain terms that that was supremely nerdy really? to wear a dress. What year was this? Fifth grade. 1985. Okay. Is when we moved, I think. 
Yeah, that was the era of like acid wash jeans or, or tight jeans or I mean, I don't there were know, a lot of different ways to express cool yourself enough. through jeans. You <laughs> I know? did not wear jeans until yeah. I had to for a play I was in. And I, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I was not cool. I was decidedly uncool. So acid wash flew by me. <laughs> <laughs> you're, in a way, you're lucky, you know? Yeah, probably. think I would stop you better. You think I'd figure it out. You first selection that you brought in today is from high school, correct? High school band? That's or right. It was a jazz band that was at orchestra camp. Oh, okay. <laughs> Remember that part I said it wasn't very cool? It's a safe place. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I feel perfectly <laughs> proud of it. But anyway, uh, yeah, I think this is the second of two years that I went for violin at this orchestra camp. But there was a jazz band and I had just started playing saxophone. So they got me a this tenor sax from the local high school, which squeaked above a certain pitch. (laughs) Um, And it was awesome because I got to play in the jazz band. That was 1992 um, that this recording was from. How did saxophone become the instrument you were playing in that in that instance? There's a very clear answer. It's that my older brother played it, and I wanted everything to do with my older brother. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Was that was that? A, I mean, was is he to this day a musician? Nope. No. Mm-mm. But he, was was he then, or what? I mean, was he, he just played playing alto in, in the band, in okay. the marching band? Mm-hmm. And he was two years older than I am. He still is. <laughs> yeah. And. Uh, and so I wanted to play sax, much to his chagrin, probably, because I was already playing piano and violin, and I was like, I want to play saxophone, and then, of course, I had to join the band, and then I decided to conduct the band, but by then he was gone. <laughs> yeah. You little show off. <laughs> I didn't mean to show off. I mean, I, I really just wanted to do anything that Eric did. Mm-hmm. But it also sounds like you were maybe kind of voracious musically, in a sense. Like, even before you were writing, you were... <clears throat> already like biting off a lot you know as far as learning multiple instruments and yeah everything. I guess I wasn't conscious of being voracious I definitely always sang and then I was always just playing on the piano like mm-hmm. it was my favorite toy um but I wanted to play the violin and uh 
I think the organist or one of the mu- musicians, magician, Magician. one of the magic <laughs> musicians at my parents' church um, advised them to have me play piano first. And I, so they actually denied me the violin until we moved to Long Island. And then I was basically given a crown that said nerd on it by all my peers and felt like, oh God, the violin is the nerdiest instrument. And I really rebelled against it. I mean, I, I played it, but I just, I wasn't as into it. It's funny. I think maybe I should have started violin earlier when I wanted to, because then it, it was a little more laborious, but sax wasn't. Sax came easy to me. It was very monophonic and, and my brother played it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I cry a lot more in my old age, anyway. But music sometimes will just get me. Like it oh, just, yeah. and I feel like I mean, I don't feel foolish because I think that's what it's supposed to do. Yeah. But I think sometimes it will be the most, in, like, a sense sensory experience yeah. that I can't even explain. Like why, yes. especially writing my own stuff. Sometimes there'll be a lyric that I have a hard time singing, and I'll choke every time I sing yeah. it. And I'm yeah. like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to repeat this on right. stage if right. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to cry every time I get to this one right. one lyric? Yeah. Um. There's so much I want to say about okay. everything I just said. <laughs> just feel free to ramble. Um, <laughs> in terms of, uh, you said music hits you sometimes, and it's just like, whoa. There's something about, you know, whether it's our old age, we get older and are, are able to let, hopefully, certain guards down. Probably having a child had something to do with that. You know, if you're, like, blocked up up here, up higher, and you don't let things really affect you, you might not, I'm, I don't know, I'm not judging anyone, but you might not be able to let something like music that's very, you know, it's very direct without words, mm-hmm. you might not be able to let that affect you. Similarly with singing, it's that same thing of having that long breath. I feel like there's a similarity of if you breathe in deep and start from there and sing all the way there, it's really vulnerable because you're not tensing things up on the way. Mm-hmm. So you're a lot more vulnerable to to share that and your, you know, again, like the shape of your body with the other people singing near you is a really vulnerable, amazing thing. I just remembered this experience I had singing with the LA Master Crawl that I get to sing with. Um, and we were doing, we, we made a recording of this too, a, a Goretzky recording. He's Polish and he died not too long ago, like maybe 10, 15 years ago and had, I think in the 90s, this like sort of broke into the mainstream public in terms of sales of one of his CDs, but we'd made a record a couple years ago called Goretzky, I think Miserere, and there's this piece of his called Miserere, and it was, the words of it are something like Miserere Dei Mei, you know, have mercy on me, my God. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, God, this poor audience, that's the only text, so they're going to think it's like a 10-minute song tops. It's a 40-minute piece. And it starts with, so there are eight sections, second bass, first bass, second tenor, first tenor, second alto, first alto, second soprano, first soprano. How many times would I think it was over and start clapping and only to realize that it was still <laughs> I going? don't think you would because it it's really still, it starts with just second basses in one line mm-hmm. and then, and one chord. And it's all the white notes of a piano and then the second, and then the first basses. And then, so it's like. 20 minutes in before the altos start singing. We sang it through in its entirety twice before the performance. First one, I had my New Yorker, as I often do. I'm reading an article. 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. I can enjoy it, but I'm sitting there. So for the dress rehearsal, I thought I should 
I should have the experience of not reading. So I did and I got into it and, um, or, you know, I just was like, okay, this is fine. It's beautiful. Yeah, sure. And when those sopranos come in, by the way, the chord changes finally. And we go to this other chord. So in the performance, the it's happening, it's building, it's slow. Again, I had th had the thought like these audience members don't know how, not that it's not beautiful, but for me to sit in a, an auditorium as beautiful as Disney Hall is and as, I don't know, the com as comfortable as the seats might be, you're sitting for a long time. But anyway, when the Sopranos came in and the chord changed, this well of emotion just like surged through me that surprised me. Just I had just been in this meditative state. All these bodies are just pulling air through them and pumping air through them and singing this stuff and singing it together. And I was surprised. I didn't even expect it. And I just like, I missed two notes. I was like, Tedman, you're working. <laughs> Hold it together. And I, I did. I had to like swallow. I missed two notes and came back in. And then when the audience erupted in applause, I just was like, waterworks. It yeah. just, it just poured through me. And I, that's awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. I mean, it really was. I don't know what it was. There wasn't something sad I was thinking about before, or, you know, I just, this, it was just that like, gotta be open, gotta let it come through and like, whoa, that's in there, you yeah. know, and just being moved by that. So, so yeah, it's really moving to lend my voice to, um, or to share, you know, it's like sharing air. That is the least poetic way to describe <laughs> singing. But yeah, harmonizing with someone, because I, I'm so visual and because I learned so visually, I it helps me to picture, because um, yeah, when you're harmonized, like which note am I on? It's not like you're hanging, a, you're not hanging a hook on different threads. You're just, <laughs> it's just out there in the mm -hmm. air. Well, for me, I have a problem with, sometimes thinking what the other person is singing sounds like a lot of fun and just Matching starting it. to copy it mm -hmm. a little bit. I mean, it's fun when I, so many of us have had this moment and I'm sure you have too, where you're singing and people are just, you know, like real campfire. -y. Oh, I'm going to sing this harmony note. And you, you suddenly catch eyes with someone else who just went to the same one. Yeah. So then you both jump off and then you both go back and it's like, no, you, no, you, Nick, right. but you can't say no, you, cause you're singing. <laughs> you could sing no, you. <laughs> yeah. No, you, you take it. I'm high. <laughs> yeah. I insist. Um, <laughs> okay. So what's our next selection? Okay. So let me say I, some of these, uh, you can't hear me blushing, but I will be blushing. <laughs> um, the next chronologically I have is 2004. And this was from when I drove out to, we talked about this a little bit. We drove out, I drove out to um, Los Angeles to write the music for a play by Robert Anton Wilson. Do you know Mike Smith, Michael Patrick Flanagan Smith? He was asked to direct the play and he and I were hanging out and he said, do you want to help me with the music? And I said, sure. So, I mean, it was that easy. I had written two songs because I had broken up with my boyfriend. These two songs happened. One of them fell out, the first one, and then the second one took a lot of work. And this song is called 9-11, but that's not uh, Wilson's song I think was called Another Hiroshima, more or less. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty, um, I think I might have changed one other word of his. He says something about megadeth, and I might have just left it as death. What I've brought you is a bunch of home recordings. I think this might be from when I was recording on a four-track. 
murder is happening down the lane And I'm logging the next street over Just get in your car and go for a drive Or wish on a four-leaf clover Just get in your car and go for a drive Or swallow the right kind of Protect yourself from worry and fear And the thoughts that make people ill Blame the generals or our genes Blame the banks and politicians But pay your taxes when they're due To buy more ammunition We have all learned not to feel it Tense your muscles, hold The song, it was me at the guitar, and I was, um, as today, limited with my guitar playing, but I was playing kind of like plucked um, classical string quasi bossa nova is how it sort of like yeah, the yeah. things that I came out came out of my fingers were like these bossa nova seventh chords seven rhythms with seventh chords you know so it was very simple and I had the lyric these lyrics in front of me and just started playing those first two chords back and forth and just put the words over it basically so there wasn't a I'm gonna write in a this sort of idiom and create this in a way you know I mean that's what happens in a development right when a record artist recording artist is signed they want to develop him or her to find how can we define the style how do we sell it because you can't you know you need to know your demographic you need to know what packaging what color packaging you're going to use what sort of ribbon you're going to use to tie it up and then what medium it's going to go out on and to whom Mm -hmm. and I didn't do that at all and you know I've definitely my whole life have been just spread a little wide, but that's what I like to do. Had I been aware of it as a business venture back then, I could have approached it totally differently. And and I don't think that would have been a bad thing. I think about that too. If I had had more of a sense of things or more of a plan, like it wouldn't have necessarily been better or worse creatively. Because I've had this argument with a friend of mine about whether you could live your life and not know yourself, you know, and my friend says, that's ridiculous, you know, and I was like, oh, come on, you could come be, on. you could, what if your whole life you tried to be an athlete and you just weren't cut out for it, but somewhere inside you were, there, you were a brilliant artist and you never picked up a paintbrush. Yeah. For one, there's having the talent at the various skills, songwriting, playing, performing then there's also being the front person mm-hmm. do you want to be the front person you know i love singing backup i do i have come to love being the front person but there are some people who undeniably they were the kids with a with a hairbrush singing and making their friends their parents mm-hmm. friends listen you know i was directing the the kids in the neighborhood <laughs> making them <laughs> sing up front um but it, there's there's that mix of knowing yourself, like you were saying, knowing what you can do. Like, look at the character actors who are successful. There are people that know that somehow came to terms with the fact that they weren't 
the Tom Cruise, you know? Mm -hmm. Is Tom Cruise better than they are? No. But he's, for whatever reason, a front man. Mm -hmm. But there are these character actors whose names we don't know, but we know their faces and we see them and they're so good at embodying certain things and being just what they are. But there are thousands, if not, you know, more zeros at the end of that, actors who want so badly to be the lead and aren't looking at themselves and appreciating the fact that this is what you're good at, or maybe you're good at connecting people. You know, I definitely have to have the talk with myself. What am I, what am I good at? What, mm -hmm. you know, because like, yes, what do you I'm, bring to this that no one else can bring to it? Right. And like, right. how do you not so much capitalize on that? Because it's not really about that, but it mm -hmm. is, I mean, well, it, it is in it, a way, you, but know, you know what I mean? I, I, I don't mean it in the cynical sense. I mean it in the mm -hmm. sense of like how best to fulfill this, and fill the spot that's yeah. kind of waiting for you, you know? And one of my uh, gifts is that I don't see that as a negative thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, I, for example, when I went out to LA, I worked in offices. I'm good at, I'm good at organizing. I'm good on the computer. I'm good at learning things quickly. And I'm good at office politics, which is to say, I just stayed out of everybody's business and let it all roll, which meant they all gave me their business. And mm -hmm. I just smiled and let it roll off my back. Um, so you were the woman with all the information who had said very little <laughs> right. about her own thoughts. That's right. very, that's the best yeah. position of power. Yeah, to be well, in. and I would because I was usually a temp too. <laughs> yeah. So it was like, and it was so brilliant to five o'clock leave a job and not have to think about it when mm -hmm. you go home. You know, yeah. which is not something that my job ever affords me. It wouldn't be the first time. When an idea comes for a song, maybe eight times out of ten, it's a feeling I'm having specifically. But that's really been shift. I mean, personally, a feeling I've had personally. But that has definitely shifted as time has passed. I mean, I have so many notes of like, or maybe a line came to me in the the song in my first record, "Games We Like to Play." Mm -hmm. That's the um, opening track on that one, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It starts. It wouldn't be the first time, nor would I be the last claiming occupation in your weapon-laden past. Except for, I think, weapon, the word weapon. The rest of it, this line just came to me, and I wrote it down. I wasn't fighting anyone. I wasn't in a relationship with anyone who uh, had a tumultuous past. But I just liked that line and then just built off of it, you know, just that trajectory. And I don't even know if I was thinking about character, although I think that's a technique that one is smart to use for it. Mm -hmm. um, so more recently, I've been working on co-writing songs and, and figuring out, or not figuring out, aiming to write more. And not only on, you know, like, what am I going to wait to break up to... <laughs> <laughs> right. Although, I mean, it was, a lot of these songs were written while I was single, so I was dating different people, and then those, you know, people that were close to me were like, oh, that's about so-and-so, mm -hmm. and that's, and I even like hid 
somebody's name in one of the songs. But there's so much, I mean, I could just take only the experience I've had thus far mm -hmm. and only write songs based on that for the rest of my life, sure. you know? But of course, there's there's just so much if, if you're a person that likes to observe anything. There's, there's just so much you can do. I was watching um, Narcos. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so much to observe in the real world. Let me talk about Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching Narcos and there's a scene where the main head honch guy, whose name I don't remember, uh, basically says to this border patrol guy, um, we're gonna, like he was gonna pay his way through, we'll give you the silver or we'll give you lead, you know, which is gonna be money or, or bullets. Yeah. And at that silver or lead, I was like, oh, which I don't know how it was translated, but in Spanish it was silver or lead. And I was like, silver or lead? So I've been rap like trying to figure out where's that going to lead? That's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, is it a battle scene? It's this, like, I've got this image of this nighttime battle scene, and I'm just sort of following that and seeing where it goes with some chords. Yeah, it's cool when that happens, when a phrase just gets stuck in your head or a word or something. Yeah. Like the other day I heard someone on a podcast talking about a breezeway. And the phrase breezeway just got stuck in my head. And I was like, uh -huh. that's, that's something, you know? Like, uh -huh. I, And yeah. then I'm like, maybe there's already a song. Like, you, that's when you look and you, I'm sure every songwriter does that where you hear a phrase or you get hit you on something yeah. and you'll be shocked that it's not, uh -huh. sometimes anyway. Either yeah. I'm not looking, I mean, I go to Amazon, I go to iTunes, I go to all music. Oh, Once I've done so. those things, I'm like, uh -huh. I've looked hard enough, you uh -huh. know, for this phrase or this I have title. I've done the opposite of that, which is to say my song, Wrong Time of Year, mm -hmm. from the first from the record is not for one an intuitive title if you listen to the song you would say it's uh when can i see you again mm -hmm. obviously well babyface already wrote when can i see you again in the 90s whatever i didn't think about that at all i mean it was again it was like not one of the first songs i'd written but it was that first produced record the fall mm -hmm. so um so i had to find a different name for it and i didn't I didn't even think about it because that's such a, that is a feeling, a thought that happens to me a lot, happens to me, that I create a lot, which is when can I see you again? I get friend crushes. I get real, you know, romantic crushes. I just want to see people again. A friend of a friend one time told me when I was leaving, you always let me know when we're going to see each other again. Like, mm -hmm. you know, and I feel like, I guess, and when he said that, I guess I kind of do kind of, if I was leaving a group of friends, I would do the rounds of, you're going to be there on Saturday? No? Uh -huh, well, I'll yeah. probably see you at Jimmy's place, you know? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's like, I didn't even think about the fact uh -huh. that I was practically like doing a politician thing of like uh -huh. handshake, <laughs> eye contact or whatever, but That's it's that funny. kind of friend crush thing you're yeah. talking about where if yeah. I like somebody, I want to be like, you know, I want to glom onto a little bit of this person's energy or something. Mm -hmm. I like being around them, you mm -hmm. know, but you yeah. don't want to, you don't want to stalk somebody or make them nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I find that maybe everybody thinks they're a lot weirder than they are. And probably when you think you're, in general, most mm -hmm. people are, are thinking maybe, oh man, that was so embarrassing. I shouldn't have done uh -huh. that. And other people really don't care. You know? Right, because those people are like, oh my God, I'm so embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs>
This was a song um, that I sang back in my classical days. It's a Poulenc, Francis Poulenc song, and uh, his songs are just so cool and so jazzy. So I would take some songs, and this is one of them, um, and do it. So it's my old Wurlitzer piano and the four track and maybe some background, back, backward stuff and some rain. You know, there's this recording that has disappeared into the ether and it's a recording I made into my phone of a song that I heard in my dream. And the song ended up being Light on the Water, oh, which, cool. um, on the record. And I, I loved that recording because you could hear, I was so tired, you could hear the cheek, you know, like my cheek. <laughs> and I, and then I ended up not writing the song for like a year after that. And I went back and heard it. I'm like, oh, I should, I should write the bridge for that song and, or, and actually write the words. But here's a recording from 2007 of another song that came to me in a dream. It was this, um, I don't know if he was Mexican. <laughs> we didn't talk. This man just sang to me. Mm-hmm. And he sang the tune... And I didn't remember, it, the tune is a little bit different. I, I transcribed it when I woke up and it changed a little bit when I wrote the song, but it's a song I wrote, maybe the only song I've written in Spanish, which is a language that I do speak. Um, and it's um, it's a totally unabashed love song, which not like I'm going to leave you love song, but just a really sweet song born out of, again, a very specific personal experience, which was being really sick, which is to say, like, this is embarrassing, but terribly hungover. Mm-hmm. And my boyfriend, well, and when I was sick the night before, <laughs> just <laughs> stepped up and took care of me. And, uh, I mean, I was so sick that I, you know, you get really vulnerable when you're sick and you're like, yeah. oh. So I wrote this song after that experience, which just, you know, just left this tenderness still there. I combined it with the song that the old Mexican man sang to me in my dream. <laughs> nice. And this is another four track. I think this might be the last four track recording. Which one is it? Ten Tendere. I see it here. Which means I will understand you. Estaré con la cara en tus manos 
would that be an example of you writing on guitar yeah, and that, that stays on guitar, guitar as you go forward? Or do you move it to piano for live performances? Usually, well, there is no usual, I guess, but it's often that I start on one and go to another, mm -hmm. or sometimes I start on one, but we'll do it. We'll do it on another. Like there's a song I wrote recently that's on guitar, but sometimes I'll perform it on piano and then it's different. It's very different on piano. Mm hmm I have a sweet little dog on my lap. <laughs> You're so cute. Yeah, Sully has to put in an appearance here. Oh, yeah. oh his face. <laughs> um, he is not hating the attention, I'll tell you that. That's good. Yeah, so it they, it bounces around a little bit. Sometimes if I'm sometimes I'll use that as a tool if I'm writing on something mm -hmm. on one, then I'll go over to the other just to see if I can get out of it. You know, I don't know what chord to go to next. Mm -hmm. What would I do on guitar? Or what would I do in piano? And I know you sometimes put on a show with a full band. Mm -hmm. Do you have particular players that you work with just whenever you get a chance? Or do you, when you when it's a new project, a new album, new songs, do you tend to put together a new group of people? When I was starting out, I was shy and got who I, like I met my then longtime guitarist, um, he was playing outside of the hotel cafe in the alley and then we all ended up partying to like I mean not really partying but playing music and then going out to a diner as mm -hmm. the sun was coming up and um he played with me for a long time and then I sought a bass player and a drummer and it was more like I didn't know people on the scene it was who can I get who's willing um and then I would pay them what I could and there came a time when I couldn't afford to pay them mm -hmm. and I was I wasn't thinking like a producer I was thinking like well now they're friends of mine I can't make decisions based on them playing or not playing because I can't do that you know which is not a good position to be in and it's certainly a position I put myself in so then I uh no longer had money to pay them so I ended up just making a split um now, particularly in Los Angeles, there are um, people I love to play with. I have, if, say, a guitarist I'm working with can't make the gig and I'm looking for someone else, my two criteria are um, excellence, of course, and kindness. Mm -hmm. So, because they've got to be a good hang. Oh, sure. Um but excellent too. And and those often go hand in hand if the excellence is high enough. If the excellence, if there's like ego involved in it, you know, I don't have, we, we don't have time for that. Yeah. <laughs> I can't be trusted. I should not be left alone. I got someone left. So here's this home demo of Loaded Gun. Oh, nice. Um, it's quite long, so I'll let you do with it what you want. But I did not even remember this existed. I, um, I guess I was playing with an electric guitar and some effects. I don't know. I, I, I don't remember. I might have put the effects through GarageBand. I might have been borrowing pedals from someone. And then I was borrowing this mini Korg synthesizer from my friend Brendan. And I put this together, and I I don't know if I anticipated that this would end up on a record at some point. So this was 2011, and I recorded the record in 2014, I think, 2013. Mm -hmm. 
some new friends and they were talking about their parties it was right after I moved up here actually from Alabama and so it was some of my first new friends up here this is maybe 15 or 16 years ago and they were talking about their parties and in their it seemed that at their parties people were grabbing guitars and singing and stuff and I was like well that sounds kind of fun and I was thinking like get it get yourself out there more uh-huh. and so I brought my guitar Uh-oh. to a party uh-huh. and I was like wondering and I don't know if someone said did you bring your guitar or if I told someone I have got my guitar in case but it turned out that nobody was had a guitar, and then so they're like, and, so you're gonna so, sing So then I was like, John, did you do you wanted to play your guitar? And I was sort of like, uh, I kind of thought there was gonna be like a hoot nanny atmosphere, yeah. and I was gonna throw in. Right. And then it became like, well, what are we gonna play? And then people started like calling out chords or whatever. Oh. So then it just became this thing, and but it suddenly I realized we were doing something I didn't want to do, but everyone thought it was my idea. And so I just had, I mean, it must have been like 15 or 20 minutes with people kind of paying attention and then kind of losing interest and walking away. And me being like, I didn't even play one of the two or three songs that I had practiced thinking when they say, hey, why don't you play one? And and I join in or I jump in. I had this ready to go, but we didn't do any of that. And what we did was like a run around with like someone improving some, I mean, it was just a mess. And I remember I just felt like, okay, I'm not doing that again. Piano with songs of mine that I play a lot. I can pretty much rely on that because I'm not adventurous. I will just rhythm piano it and play. But guitar, for example, I played a tiny show while I was in L.A. And I was going to play, I'm going to play all three songs. You know, it was like a three-song set on this really sweet night. And I was going to play all three songs on guitar. Great. I need more practice doing that. And I got there, and everybody's a guitarist. And the people before me were excellent guitarists. And I was like, oh, hell no. (laughs) And none of the people knew me. So why am I going to play an instrument I'm weaker at when there's a piano? And I'm also going to play songs that are not like my... So I started with something on piano, you know, something that I know I can play well. And then I did one song on guitar and then went back to piano. And the one song on guitar, I mean, my fingers, it's a simple song, but my fingers were like, "Ah." (laughs) I mean, to be fair, that's because it's guitar and I don't have technique I can fall back on. But nerves are nerves. I get get nerves. I think um, hopefully in my old age, I'll figure it out. I get nervous. I mean, it's a physical state. I could talk about nerves for weeks um but particularly and this is odd to most people but particularly in a choral setting if you see a choir and everyone's still and one person gets a little (laughs) shake or whatever you're going to see that person 
Um, it's like seeing everybody clapping and one person's, you know, they're, they're. <laughs> right. God bless them. <laughs> right. um, but there's a, there's a person in, there's a colleague of mine and I remember I was talking about nerves and other people were like, yeah, I was surprised, you know, to find out other professional colleagues of mine get nerves because it felt like this big shameful thing to admit. And this one woman said, oh, I don't get nervous. I never get nervous. And part of me thinks, God, that would be amazing. And then, and this is a total judgment. I'm just going to say it. No one knows who this person is. I hear it in her voice. It's very harsh. There's no penetration. You know, there's there's less humanity. Adina Menzel. No, <laughs> yeah. <okay. laughs> yeah, Adina and I were talking. Um, I won't name names, and it doesn't matter. But to me, I realize that there's, it's again, it's that vulnerability of, I mean, it's it's no little thing to stand up in front of people and sing. Right. It's no little thing to stand up and play or act either, but particularly with someone's voice. It's so, it's your own, you know, and mm-hmm. it's like I was saying about the physiognomy, you know, it's like, it's coming through your head. You can't, if you were crying earlier that day, there's going to be swelling. If you were, if you haven't eaten, you know, you're going to, it's going to have a different sound. So it's so revealing in its best, in the best case scenario, it's really revealing. Mm -hmm. So if it's blocked off, and I think for many years I was, I had a more rigid sound. And when I I didn't even get, I never used to get nervous until I started studying with this teacher many, many years ago. And he released, I mean, we were like working on releasing tension and he got a lot of this tension out of me, out of my vocal production. And that was when I had my first stage fright situation. And it was horrifying. I mean, Mm -hmm. I just felt like, you know, I didn't feel like I was actually naked, but I felt this incredible exposure, which um, I've been recovering from ever since. Oh, really? Yeah. What do you think clicked? I mean... Then? Yeah. Well, it's that exposure. I think it was because, um, you know, the technique in... I mean, maybe in anything, it's about efficiency, right? So you want you want the air to be coming through as unimpeded as possible. And that means being open, literally open. And so that sort of translates to emotionally open, too. When you hear a someone wailing or a child crying, there's something so universal that does to our brains. You can't ignore a child crying. Whether right. it's Maybe it's just annoying to you, but it's annoying because it will draw your attention evolutionarily. It must, you know? So there's something about, I don't know, I'm a total folk scientist. <laughs> <laughs> but there's something about just exposing and opening up your throat and singing that in that situation, I was, um, it just hit me. You know, everyone's staring at me too. <laughs> Why are you all staring at me? <laughs> And so it it just like, it was, um, I think it was the most unguarded I had been on stage at that point. Well, that sounds like a positive. Yeah, it's but... totally positive. And I, I, I mean, I had to like meditate on that and think about it and pontificate on it and realize this is a good thing. This is a good thing, but it's, it was messy and muddy and scary because it meant, okay, get back up on stage. Like, they're all still staring at me and now there are more of them Mm -hmm. and I know that I sometimes get scared you know so Mm -hmm. um it's been a total journey I mean if if nothing else good has come of it and lots of good has come of it because for one people don't realize it as much as I realize it I'm like oh I was terrified people say that was amazing Mm -hmm. you didn't see me shaking you know and (laughs) one time 
my dad was, I was saying it, I went back and sang at their church and my dad was like, why were you shaking so much? I'm mm-hmm. like, so you can say it. Ah, everyone's <laughs> been lying. But I think I just happened to have been shaking. But, um, so for one, people don't realize it as much, but the, what I, the sentence I started was, it's fascinating. It's been a fascinating journey for me. And then of course, the more you talk with people about it, they're like, yeah, me too. You find out Renee Fleming has terrible stage fright and... Mm-hmm. Barbara Streisand has terrible stage fright. Someone call the sun. The night time's rolling in like a loaded gun. And I'll be held accountable to no one till morning comes. Someone call the sun The night time's rolling in like a loaded gun Surrender for the troubles only just begun And it's too late to run I just haven't been the producer for my own stuff, which is not to say I couldn't make the choices, but at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I haven't made music of that style that has synthesizers. I'd like to. Sure. Um, it's not my wheelhouse, so I'm, so it ends up like anything I do with it ends up just being late night recordings. Mm-hmm. I mean, we did some synthesizer stuff on the LA side of the record with some old like Italian synthesizers that Al, you know, it's one of those studios that you just see like racks of, not racks of keyboards, but there will be stacks mm-hmm. of some different keyboards and like, oh look, we just got this one in or we're borrowing this one, whatever. So we did play with some synthesizers on somebody else and okay, maybe on something else. Probably just somebody else. Um, but yeah, it's not that I, if I would re-record that song, I would instead, you know, get string players. I definitely did it for that keyboard sound because mm-hmm. it pleased me. Sure. Well, I mean, it, what's interesting to me about that is you mentioned that kind of late night recording when you don't even remember doing it. Um, and uh, I've done that. So, and it's such a nice little, it's like finding a $5 bill and a winter coat from last year. Yeah. I just thought it was never finished, which is mm-hmm. odd to me that I have that recording of it. I don't know if I didn't remember that recording. We took out the second half of the second verse and mm-hmm. instead slammed into another chorus. So we changed the form a little bit. But I remember when we were recording it, I had to write. I think the words just weren't set yet. So I had to write the words out and have them on a stand while I was playing because I was, I mean, I was editing them that day Mm -hmm. which is again why this recording surprises me because it's like it sounds as if i thought the song was finished sure i mean it's yeah it's it right it's it's produced up as a demo enough that it's a it's a fully formed idea yeah Yeah. well it's interesting that that song became kind of a production number on the album but in a totally different vein
So now your options are, there is my old band that we played together a bunch, and there's a song that hasn't been released that we played. It was the first time we ever played this song. I think we, we had a quick rehearsal. This is 2011, and it's called Remember Back. Okay. Um, yeah, we did this live. It was called Studio City Sound is a studio that I've become good friends with them in Studio City in mm -hmm. Los Angeles. And um, they, I met them through Sonic Bids. They were looking for artists to play their online festival. So it was like an online festival. They've got all these HD cameras, and they're set up to record, to broadcast um, high-quality sound and video simultaneously, which is cool. Yeah. So we did that, and it was this like odd scene, and I was in one room, and my band was in the other room, and and uh, but I ended up loving this recording, and we performed it live after that, and then never again. It just didn't. So it's just. I mean, is, do you ever see yourself coming back to it? Uh... I have performed it live, just at the piano with no band, and I've done it. I think even with choir just piano and choir before too which is a an often a configuration i often do let's check it out remember back when all you had was your own and all you knew was all that mattered searching for love you found yourself far from home not knowing she was armed with daggers Ages had passed before our meeting And mountains crumbled down To beaches And since our time is but a splash on Deep is your love so much, mm -hmm. and um, oh, it's gorgeous. My band here, the Velvet Velvets, mm -hmm. we were we were going to do we were going to play together, and we were we were having a reunion tour. I mean, we we played together for six months in the early aughts, and then we played a little tour together like three years ago. So that was our comeback tour, um, and we were each going to bring it's three lead singers: Mike Smith, me, and Abby Mott. And so we were each basically going to bring three songs or four songs to play together. And I really wanted us to sing How Deep Is Your Love. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, I don't think we should cover that song per se. Why don't I write a song that can break out into it? Mm -hmm. So that's it was that direct. It was, And there's an example of, um, I was like, okay, so what's the song going to be about? And I really, actually, it's a good segue. I found 
early versions of this. Song sings one thing I love with you. So sweet, yet sleep takes me away, please. Sing on me anew. Hold on that song we met before. Your heart and I just begin to need. I just wanted to figure out a way, like I said, to have us sing. How deep is your love? So I was working on the song, but it didn't necessarily have a specific. There was the catalyst was covering was, what's that called? Um, quoting. Yeah. How deep is your love? The catalyst was not a situation in my life. So I sat down and I literally thought, what should I play off of? What should I, you know? And it was a bit of just singing and seeing what words came out. And then I, I did base it, you know, I thought specifically of one friend of mine and and our relationship, and that's what you'll hear. It's about how much we love to sing songs together. Mm -hmm. That ended up changing entirely, but it gave me the second verse. So it was fun to hear this. the song and it was like because right now the chorus is um I think I'd better leave I'm headed for a heart attack sort of abridged but it used to be totally different like oh our love is all done just as it is and so it was it was called just as it is so heart attack chorus is just me like you just kind of mumble 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 but I got the, I'm headed for a heart attack. I find, I figured the end of the chorus out. What would be your druthers for? Um, like whatever our final selection might be. I don't know what my druthers would be. I definitely brought a lot of very unfinished stuff, mm -hmm. as you hear. No, I'm so loving it. Like, I'm loving it. Um, I'm not sure. Well, I mean, in that vein, what might be the most special and the most unusual? I don't think I've played this for anyone, and I don't know if I trust myself from yesterday who made the decision to bring this. <laughs> <laughs> but this is just me, like sitting at my piano in Los Angeles and uh, I don't know what 
time. Actually, the time might be time might be coded in there. One eighteen? No, I don't know. Yeah, eight uh, or eighteen eighteen. There's like a zero zero oh, eighteen eighteen so at the 6 end. PM? Okay. Yeah. That can't be six PM. This sounds to me like after eleven. Um <laughs> but maybe it had been a long day, I don't know. Anyway, um it's just me uh playing and singing something that I never did anything with before or after. And I know that there's some clammy note towards the end, but maybe just play some of it. Sure. <laughs> seem to you like the kind of thing that you might end up doing something with or do you think that's a like do, do you hear do you hear where that idea was going I do yeah mm -hmm. that is something that I going through and I I do sometimes go through and like make a note do something with this mm -hmm. like there's I have a couple voice memos whose whose names have been changed to do something with this mm -hmm. or this one or something like yeah. that so that one hearing it yesterday I thought oh right I should do something with that and I think I might have brought it with that in mind thinking <laughs> hearing what it would be um, well no I like that because to me you talk about the kind of feeling like it must have been recorded at a different hour because you can feel a certain vibe from it and then yeah. we were talking about the kind of recording that you forget about mm -hmm. I think the voice memo thing there's so many I mean that that has been the saving grace of certain songs that I'm like, I, I know I wouldn't have had this very fully formed idea. I would mm -hmm. have forgotten it if I mm -hmm. hadn't done something. And then other times it's like the security of knowing I got it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean I'm going to do anything with it. If I, I'd have to go back and weed through all my voice memos to mm -hmm. find some of that stuff. Mm -hmm. But something about knowing that you documented it yeah. makes you feel a little bit more relaxed. Because like, yeah. until then it's like, oh, literally right. someone could say something to me and I could right. forget this thing. And this could be a song that, that yeah. I live with for years, you yeah. know, that becomes something. I remember Bill Withers said... Um, he's, the question asked of him was, how come so many of your songs are such iconic, memorable, heartfelt songs? And he said, well, for one, I haven't written that many. <laughs> and it's because if I'm out on a walk and I think of a song and by the time I get home, I don't remember it. I don't remember it. It's gone. It's gone. Yeah. So he lets it go, which is something. <laughs> well, this was fun. This was so fun. I really Thanks appreciate it. Thanks for having it. me. Oh my God. I want to, I mean, I want to take like a panoramic photo. This is such a great <laughs> scene. I love it. What a great time. Thanks for having me, well, thank and you good luck much. editing all of that down. <laughs> so there you have it, everybody. You can find her online at kristentedman.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-E-N-T-O-E-D-T-M-A-N.com. Or you can find her on Instagram at ktettles. That's K-T-E-D-D-L-E-S. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Gianni W, G-I-A-N-N-I-D-U-B-Y-A. And I guess that's it for now. <clears throat> I think I'm going to go take some voice lessons. <laughs> <laughs>